Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Friday, June 30th, 2023, the 891st day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month. And in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't or you simply don't want to, continue listening to the podcast for free a couple days later on a wide variety of podcast platforms. And of course, Rumble. All I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the podcast, the writing, the social media, and the merch site by visiting linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. Now, before we jump into things, I just want to note that this marks the end of the first half of 2023 today. Feels like just yesterday that we were all being called domestic terrorists after people watched what they believe to be a very violent insurrection on the television. Feels like just yesterday. But we're halfway through 2023. Six months flew right by. Six more months. Boom. 2024. We're right into the primary season and we just plow on toward November. It is amazing how quickly this is going. Despite the struggles, despite the frustrations, despite how hard life is dealing with the indignities of our society, 
right now, we are getting through this and we will continue to remember how you felt 891 days ago when the fake president was fake inaugurated. It felt like the world was ending. There was no way that we could make it through a few months of this blossoming dystopia. And here we are well over halfway through the illegitimate president's term. And it ain't great, but we're making our way and we will continue to. And sooner or later, the whole thing will just be a wrap. And you will long for these days. <laughs> maybe maybe you won't, but it has been an incredible growth period at least, right? We can all give ourselves a pat on the back for that, if nothing else. So yesterday we were discussing foundational misunderstandings and what it means to get something basic and fundamental and foundational wrong, how it affects the rest of your thinking about any issue that will intersect that foundational misunderstanding. That's what we talked about a week ago in a more personal sense and a more societal sense. The idea of informational time travel going back through this series of personal or societal traumas to understand how and why they were misinterpreted and get all the way back to the beginning so that we can correct that misinterpretation and finally move productively forward. Now, the same idea holds true for any foundational, fundamental misunderstanding. I mentioned yesterday, if you don't understand that our elections are stolen, if you believe our elections are legitimate, you're going to come to a bunch of really bad conclusions. You're going to talk about a whole lot of stuff that doesn't make sense in the real world, like the horse race, the polling in the battleground states between Trump and Ron, the polling between Ron and Biden, a mythical race that will clearly never happen. All of that is discussion that makes no sense if you understand our elections are stolen. All of that analysis turns out really bad. And then, of course, you can't actually provide explanations for what we are witnessing in the world. For instance, a government that does not seem or act in any way like it believes it is accountable to the people. That is the sort of thing that would arise when the regime knows that they can't be voted out because they control the elections. Believing our elections are free and fair provides no explanation whatsoever for how Joe Biden could have lost 18 of 19 bellwether states and still won the election, the battleground states and still won, how he outperformed Barack Obama among black American voters in four urban centers that he absolutely had to win. How did Trump have coattails that got all sorts of congressmen and people in local elections elected, but couldn't get Trump elected. There are no explanations for any of the anomalies whatsoever for people who ignore and deny election fraud. There isn't another explanation available. That's why most of the time they revert to, well, everybody hates Trump and Trump's dumb and it's because of Trump. And so long as you are in the hate movement with them, so long as Trump is the avatar of your hate movement, you hate Trump, you hate his supporters, you hate everything they represent because you know you have to support the regime. If you are one of those people, then the Trump hate that exists explains all of these anomalies. At the end, that's all they have left. 
They can show you, no, it's possible if this happens, it's possible if this happens. And they do that for 10 issues or 15 or 20 different anomalies, not only from the election, but things that have emerged in the world. Well, what's the explanation for that? Well, they have no explanation, but at the bottom of it, they know that they must be right because Trump is bad and his supporters are stupid. Therefore, they don't have to explain anything to us. One of the leading Ron DeSantis simps online, a man named Kurt Schlichter, who writes for Town Hall, has been getting kind of burned up in his Twitter comments the last few days. I mean, truthfully, the last eight months. But he wrote some big piece that he said is the most important thing ever to read. It's must read. He called his own article must read. And he compares Ron DeSantis to like the heroes of ancient Rome. He's going to come back and make his case and he will win at the end of the day. These guys are like the Baghdad Bob of the Ron campaign. And if you're not familiar with the Baghdad Bob reference, I encourage you to look it up and watch some videos. Schlichter wrote, some people ask me how Ron DeSantis should address the Trump issue with objective observations of indisputable facts, not opinions that place Trump on the defensive. So this is just the facts, ma'am. You can't dispute these things at all. Number one. President Trump is about 80. Number two, too many people irrationally hate him for him to win in 2024. And he says, that's it. Fire emoji. That's all you need to say. Those are the reasons why Ron DeSantis is the choice. There's no opinions, nothing to place Trump on the defensive. It's just objective observations of indisputable facts. Now, it's interesting that he considers people irrationally hating Donald Trump an indisputable fact to the point where there are so many of those people that they alone will prevent Donald Trump from winning in 2024. Now, that is not an indisputable fact. Certainly, there are plenty of people who irrationally hate Donald Trump. That doesn't mean they still will a year and a half from now. A year and a half ago, we just talked about two and a half years ago, the very violent insurrection, the fake inauguration, all of that. Do all the people who hated Trump then hate Trump now? No. The answer is no. Trump is more popular than he's ever been, despite all of the problems told to us by the fake news, all of the scandals told to us by the fake news, all the attacks generated by the fake news, and these ridiculous fake indictments in New York and this document hoax and whatever happens with the perfect phone call in Georgia. Despite all that, Trump is as popular as he has ever been. But the real point here is that Kurt Schlichter, before Trump was elected and since he has been removed, Schlichter is a Trump hater who spreads irrational Trump hate and encourages people to hate Trump irrationally. And he would say that he definitely doesn't do that. In fact, he's just being objective about Trump. And that includes saying all the bad things about Trump that he says, like that Trump can't possibly win, which ignores the fact, of course, that our elections are stolen. That fundamental misunderstanding infects everything downstream. But it's even worse in Schlichter's case because it's not a fundamental misunderstanding. He is just lying. He knows that the elections are rigged. 
He just believes that Ron can win a rigged election. That is something he absolutely argues for. I am not misstating his position. He simply tries to take the line that the rigging and the fraud can be overcome if the candidate is popular enough. Now, whether he believes that or not, I don't know. But even if he does, if you know the country has been usurped and you are actively attacking the person the election was stolen from and his supporters all the time in order to support someone who they won't steal an election from, you don't get to claim patriotism or intelligence or bravery or principle or anything else. And so I responded to Kurt Schlichter with this. I quote tweeted him and said, Trump gained 12 million votes from 2016 to 2020. And pretty much everyone can see that our elections are routinely stolen by the uniparty left and the uniparty right. But sure, everyone hates Trump is the answer to all of it again. The reasons to vote for Ron DeSantis, according to one of his biggest and only supporters, is that Trump is old and Trump is disliked. Absolute retardation. And it is absolute retardation. It's unbelievable to me that he thinks people are buying this nonsense. And the truth is that people aren't. On his Twitter posts where he begs for people to read his articles, he gets almost no engagement. On the tweet I just read for you, he had 155 likes. My response that came an hour later already has 181. So my post is getting more engagement than his post. He has 480,000 followers and I have 23,000. His account is 20 times the size of mine and he's getting no engagement. Why? Because people aren't into these ideas as people aren't into the Ron DeSantis campaign. It has been an absolute embarrassment for DeSantis and all of these quote unquote influencers running the calm side of his campaign. They have not only ended Ron DeSantis's career, most likely they've also ended all of their own because they are showing everyone exactly who they are. And it is not going well. Now, I also discussed another fundamental misunderstanding yesterday, and that is the belief that Donald Trump is a dumb, narcissistic egomaniac, always looking out for himself in the short term all the time. Everything is about his ego and his personal gain. That is what we are told to justify the Trump hate these guys actually express. And consider what that looks like in this situation. The two reasons why Trump can't be the guy are that he's too old and too many people irrationally dislike him. I am continually amazed at how wannabe elites will tell everybody in the world that they know what other people think. Well, I like Trump just fine. In fact, I voted for Donald Trump twice. So I can't possibly be a Trump hater, but I know that there are all these other people out there who hate Trump, except the thing is they don't know because elites and wannabe elites don't really surround themselves with normal people and don't talk to normal people and find out what normal people think. I know this because I used to be one of them. 
They genuinely do not care what normal people think. They represent the beliefs of normal people by taking them in aggregate through public polling. That is the most they care about what normal people think. And then anyone who they can qualify as a bad person, someone who's racist or sexist or homophobic or blah, blah, blah. Those people's opinions don't matter at all. So they don't need to know the opinions of those people. They have absolutely no perspective whatsoever on what real people in the world actually think because they don't listen to them, but they always feel inclined to speak for them. Normal people aren't going to accept Donald Trump. They're not going to vote for him in 2024. They don't like Donald Trump. I like Donald Trump just fine. In fact, I voted for him twice, but they don't like Donald Trump. Well, hey, sooner or later, guys, isn't it time to just admit that you don't like Donald Trump and that you voted for him only because he's a Republican and you couldn't bring yourself to vote for the Democrat? And maybe your opinions on Donald Trump are exactly the same as the opinions of the people on television, which aside from complimenting some of his policies are exactly the same as the people on the uniparty left that you guys all say you're opposed to, you know, the people you're going to beat so you can end wokeness. How are you going to do that when you have the same opinions that they do? about the single greatest way to end wokeness. You want to end wokeness, especially the formalized aspects of it. Bring Donald Trump back and expose election fraud. You don't elect Ron so that he can hopefully implement some policies. Maybe he'll come to some bipartisan solutions. Oh, that'll get it done. The truth is that Trump hate underlies all of it. The rest are just excuses. He's too old. Too many people irrationally dislike him. While you're one of the people encouraging others to irrationally dislike him, to see him as a failure, to see him as a loser in an election, you know he won. This is principled conservatism. This is honesty. This is intelligence. This is good analysis. No, it's none of those things. It's absolutely none of those things. And all of that is layered upon the foundational misunderstanding of who Donald Trump is and what he represents and how he approaches things. I talked yesterday about how Donald Trump is always mid-negotiation. That is what his public communications represent. It's what his actions represent. He wants the best deal at the time the deal needs to be made. He wants to create as much leverage for himself as possible. And he knows that there is more business to be done in the future. So he needs to make sure the status of his leverage across a range of scenarios is always where it needs to be. Yesterday, upon hearing news of the Supreme Court's decision that does away with affirmative action in universities, the DeSantis War Room account on Twitter that has a little alligator emoji in the screen name and a picture of an alligator as the profile picture posted this video and said, sad day for affirmative action advocates. Affirmative action. Should we keep it? Yes or no? 
I'm fine with affirmative action. I mean, should I, it be expanded I spend, or it should having, be limited? Well, it should be, you know, you have to also go free market, you have to go capability, you have to do a lot of things, but I'm fine with affirmative action. We've lived with it for a long time, and I've lived with it for a long time, and I've had great relationships with lots of people, so I'm fine with it. According to Team Ron, that makes Donald Trump an affirmative action advocate. He's basically a leftist in this scenario. That's what we are being told by Team Ron. They have been trying to create that narrative for a couple of months now. As always, it has been an absolute failure because no one in the world is ever going to believe this. Donald Trump is anathema to all of the uniparty left and even the actual communist left who oppose the regime, but are also just degenerate communists. So they think that Trump is the actual problem. Trump's public identity is being the opposite of those people. So it's not going to work to try to label Donald Trump the leftist. And that is especially true when you understand that all the people supporting Ron are literally members of the globalist regime. It is automatically leftist. The regime is only leftist. It is global communism from the people who created Marxism. This is the regime. So if members of that regime are the primary supporters and funders of a man's campaign, you can't really portray someone else as being more left. Sorry, it's not going to work. And of course, Florida is where woke goes to die. So they also try to paint Donald Trump as the woke candidate out of the two. But that is utterly absurd. Trump is the definition of anti-woke. He is identified in people's minds by his anti-wokeness, particularly those on the uniparty left. The uniparty right think the same thing, though. They're always offended about the things Trump says because the uniparty left people they're friends with get upset. And they don't want to be blamed for Trump's comments because they don't want to have to defend Trump to their friends on the uniparty left. That one notion right there explains most of this dynamic. But the idea that Ron or Ron supporters are less woke than Trump and Trump supporters is madness. I could probably prove that each and every one of the people on his comms team are more woke than I am in a series of five tweets. It is all just preposterous nonsense and virtue signaling to allow the people supporting Ron DeSantis to pretend that they have been the most right about all of this the whole time when they haven't. There has not been one moment where these guys were the most right. They were anti-Trump before Trump was elected. Then they kissed Trump's ass while he was in his first term as president and they have gone right back to hating Trump since then. They went along more with Russiagate, the Ukraine impeachment hoax. They went along more with COVID and masks and lockdowns. They went along more with vaccines. In fact, they promoted them. They went along more with mail-in ballots and they promote strategies to deal with mail-in ballots now as part of the system. They went along with the stolen election. They went along with the very violent insurrection. They went along with Ukraine. These people are not the destroyers of wokeness compared to us. They are the woke. It's absolutely ridiculous. 
But Trump says he has no problem with affirmative action. And that's not the most desirable position for him to take. Most people out there, including me, would like that question to be answered very simply. I think affirmative action is itself racist and it discourages a meritocracy. And the only way a society can function properly is if people actually are treated equally, which means that they don't get to advance within systems unless they have proven that they deserve to be advanced within the system. That's what a meritocracy is. That is what our society is supposed to be all about. Except the thing is, Donald Trump is a president of all Americans. He mentioned all the characteristics of the ideal situation and then said, we've had affirmative action for a long time. I don't have a problem with it. Now, for someone who is actually operating at a high level, for someone who is always mid-negotiation, he is just choosing not to fight that battle in the moment. That's it. That's all he's doing by putting out that statement. I don't really have a problem with it. So DeSantis's team puts this out yesterday and tries to make it go viral. Now, if they make that go viral, what are they going to do? Are they going to convince everybody that Donald Trump is woke or Donald Trump is a leftist or Donald Trump is pro affirmative action? No, they're not going to convince anybody of that because no one is dumb enough to believe that unless they have the fundamental misunderstanding that Donald Trump is dumb and a narcissist has no idea what he's doing. And if you're still wrong about that for the eighth straight year, then sure, you're going to misinterpret this video as well. But to everyone on the Uniparty right and the Uniparty left who thinks that affirmative action is just fine and we actually have a big race problem in this country. If those people also think that Donald Trump is racist and then they see this thing, how's that going to work for them? Team DeSantis is basically advertising that the whole Trump is racist narrative was completely and totally wrong. Thank you, Team DeSantis, for helping us with dispelling that ridiculous notion for the Uniparty left. At least you are figuring out some way to help, even if only through your absolute incompetence and dishonesty and immorality. Thanks. So yesterday I was also talking about the Trump endorsements and relating that and seeing that through the lens of Trump always being mid-negotiation. What do these endorsements mean? A couple of people commented that I kind of left off on that, and I don't have a lot more to say about it for the time being, but I think it is worth mentioning. Maybe I didn't tie this up well enough, but Trump's position on other people vis-a-vis -vis his endorsements is just Trump being in mid-negotiation. He's just controlling the narrative about that person and about himself through that person. If Mitch McConnell or Lindsey Graham, for instance, has a Trump endorsement that they asked for, that they need to win, then Trump now has leverage over them and how they're able to act and how they're able to communicate in public. With someone like Mitch, who's a leader in the Senate, he might say, hey, Mitch, I need you to do these things. If you want the endorsement, you're going to have to do these things and I'll give you the endorsement. It's not Trump saying Mitch McConnell is the best man for this job forever and always. It's just Trump saying we have come to terms on a deal. This is what our deal looks like. I am going to be nice to Mitch McConnell. I am going to be nice to Lindsey Graham for now, so long as they continue 
to do what they're supposed to and uphold their end of the deal. Now, if you understand at a fundamental level that Trump actually does know what he's doing and is a smart person and is forward looking in his decision making and the implementation of those decisions, then it's easy to see this as an effective strategy for navigating the political arena, particularly when we're in a period like this, where the narrative is essentially the only thing that matters. He is doing the exact right thing from that perspective. But if you have the fundamental misunderstanding that Trump is dumb and a narcissist and an egomaniac, he can't control himself. He's doing the wrong thing at all times because of his character deficits, his character flaws. He's always acting those out in the world. That's why he's so bad and so irresponsible, even though he kept us out of wars and had a booming economy and has actually torn down to a great degree a lot of the deep state and the administrative state. And we'll get into more of that with the SCOTUS decisions in just a minute. But Trump's done a whole lot of things for a dumb egomaniac narcissist who has no idea what he's doing and can't control himself. He's done quite well for someone like that. But if you think that's really who Trump is, then what you see is Trump being a hypocrite when he endorses certain people or when certain people endorse him. And then later on, his relationship with them changes. He endorsed Mitch McConnell for reelection in 2020. And now he consistently talks about how bad Mitch McConnell is and how much he's sold out to China via his wife, Coco Chow. Is that Trump exhibiting all of his bad qualities or is that Trump mid negotiation or post negotiation? He created leverage. He used the leverage. The terms of the deal were upheld for a time. That deal is either broken or has concluded. And now he is free to go a different direction. And the crazy thing is it's not even inconsistent. It's not hard for people to see this. Why doesn't Donald Trump like Mitch McConnell? Virtually everyone knows the answer to that. Mitch McConnell is super establishment. Mitch McConnell may damn well be sold out to the Chinese through his wife, Coco Chow. That is entirely possible. In fact, it's highly likely. And if it's not true, then Trump certainly knows that and is not saying it for a different specific reason. Mitch McConnell didn't support Republican senatorial candidates in the midterms. He has undermined candidates in the past. Mitch McConnell tries to rule the Senate with an iron fist. And that is why the Republican establishment loves him so much. So people know why Trump wouldn't like Mitch. So it's no surprise that Trump says he doesn't like Mitch. But why was Trump nice to Mitch before? Well, the simple answer is there was a negotiation. Trump exchanged his endorsement for something from Mitch. And now that arrangement has either been broken or it has concluded. And so Trump gets to say what he wants. Is that Trump lying to everyone with his endorsement? No, it's Trump being pragmatic about how he handles business, and we should simply understand him as being mid-negotiation at all times. He is exercising leverage over Mitch McConnell with every single statement he makes about Mitch, and that is the power of Donald Trump that no one else has and no one else can even come close to possessing. We are in an information war right now. We are in fifth generational warfare, an information war, 
a war of narratives. And Trump is the one who is able to manipulate narratives absolutely all the time. He is creating leverage for himself through the narrative all the time. People get mad at the things he says because they don't represent the views that they want Trump to represent in the moment. And I experience that just as everyone else does. I remember watching him in his press conferences during COVID and just thinking, why won't you just say the right thing? I know you know what the right thing is. Why aren't you saying it? And it was incredibly frustrating especially because I was just kind of waking up at that time, realizing that Donald Trump wasn't the man the TV said he was. He wasn't always lying. In fact, he's basically always telling the truth. And I think a lot of people had that realization during COVID. That doesn't mean it's never frustrating to listen to him and that he's never going to say things that are going to put people off. He is going to do that. It is an unfortunate reality. That Donald Trump can't make us feel happy and special at every single moment of the day, which is what people demand. Make me feel smart. Make me feel important and happy and special every day. Tell me how good I am at determining who has the wee-wees and who has the hoo-hahs. We can all celebrate together that we're the ones who know the most basic natural facts of humanity. The other candidates make me feel like I'm smart and special. They never make me frustrated or sad about anything they say. What if, and just go with me on this for a second, what if the job of the president isn't to always say things that make us feel special? What if his words actually have an impact in ways that don't include my personal feelings about his answers to every single question. I mean, can you even imagine a world like that where presidents are handling higher level things when they're communicating and they have to say certain things to exert leverage on certain situations and the meaning and purpose of all their speech isn't just obvious to people who watch CNN? Gosh, what if that world existed? Man, well, then we would actually have to step back and think about what Trump is saying and what it might mean, rather than just assuming that everything he says proves how stupid he is. And I get that people want things to go back to normal. They don't want someone who's going to upset the liberals all the time because the liberals being upset all the time means that they create problems for everyone all the time and people have enough problems. I totally 100 percent get that. The problem is, if you actually want to stop these communists from creating problems all the time, you have to handle these issues once and for all. You want communists creating fewer problems? Go out there and let everybody you know know that our elections are stolen and show them how. And even if you don't want to show them how or you don't think you're going to be good at showing them how, just let them know that you see it and you know they see it too. And if they don't want to admit it, that's fine. But it's real and you know it and everybody else knows it. Part of what preserves these narratives in the public consciousness is that people simply won't stand up and speak out against them. If we can't even stand up and speak out for majority held viewpoints that we know to be factually true, what is our role in helping to preserve the country? Maybe your role 
isn't being a public spokesman or advocating for these issues, even in personal conversations, and you're doing other important things to keep the country going. And if that's the case, hey, wonderful. I'm not trying to knock anybody. I'm just saying it's about time we actually stand up and say these things despite the threats from these people. We can't simultaneously pretend we're going to be the ones that take down wokeness and take down this communist movement and also be afraid to speak the truth in front of these people. It's not even believable. Now, if you have that fundamental misunderstanding that you think Trump is dumb, narcissist, an egomaniac, can't control himself, doesn't know what he's doing, then nothing I just said is going to change any of that. The response will simply be that is not how Trump is communicating. You are just covering up for Trump because you are a cult member. Yes, I know it's very, very smart to call people cult members when their cult consists of thinking for themselves, as that meme so accurately states. And I know it is Donald Trump's vaccine and his cult members were the least likely people in the world to take that vaccine, but it's still totally a cult. It's not a hate movement designed to destroy Trump and his supporters at all costs. And it's just a coincidence that that same movement is supporting actual Nazis in Ukraine. It's just a coincidence. We're the ones in a cult. They're not in a hate movement. We're in a cult. Got it. I totally understand. That totally makes sense. I'm just defending Trump for no reason, even though I will sit here and do it and explain it in a way that I think people will find convincing because it is also honest. And the people who believe Trump is a dumb egomaniac narcissist who can't control himself and has no idea what he's doing will just reassert that again and say, come on, everybody knows that that's true. Everybody knows that my character assessment of this person that I've held on to for eight years, despite the changes in our observable reality, everybody knows that's true. Everybody knows I nailed it right from the very beginning, just like the TV did. They say the same thing. I say the same thing. Just so happens that the TV is right this time about Trump's character. And you know how we know the TV is right this time? Well, it's because our friends on the Uniparty right agree with the TV once again. They only agree with the TV about very, very important things like Russiagate, Ukraine impeachment hoax, COVID, masks, lockdowns, vaccines, mail-in balloting, the stolen election, the very violent insurrection, and the war in Ukraine. Those are the times where the Uniparty left and the Uniparty right agree. And it's because the issues are so important and because they're so important, these two opposing sides decide that they're going to call a truce for now and agree on all the underlying facts of the story because it's so important. They just happen to get every single one of those things wrong. Sooner or later, it should actually matter. Sooner or later, these people should be held to account for being wrong all the time. And the idea that they couldn't have been wrong about Donald Trump's character because some people have continued to hold on to that foundational misunderstanding for eight years is honestly astounding to me. At some point, these people are going to have to accept that Donald Trump is not doing what they think Donald Trump is doing and that he does know what he's doing and that he does have some sort of plan and that he's executing that plan and that that plan is still going successfully for him as he continues to say that it is. Does he seem threatened by what's going on? Does he seem threatened by these get Trump efforts? No, because he knows what's going on with them. 
He's not just faking it to trick everybody. He's telling us clearly this is what's happening. And then we get all of the very serious intellectuals to analyze everything. And through their very deep analysis where they tell you, oh, no, these things actually are huge issues for Donald Trump. And it is such a bad move for him to be speaking this way about these upcoming trials. We're talking about prison time here, folks. We're talking about prison time, gang. But he's not going to take them seriously because he knows what's going on. And the people at the Daily Wire and the National Review have absolutely no clue because they have embodied every single foundational misunderstanding about Donald Trump. And their analysis is now ridiculous. It is something from a false reality. So Donald Trump makes his statements. He makes his endorsements. He is always mid-negotiation. He is also one of very few people in the world who can shift the public narrative at any time he chooses just by posting a message online. Consider the power that suggests. I've mentioned that there are a couple other people able to do that. We saw that Elon Musk is able to do that within this last year. We've seen that Kanye West is able to do that in this last year. I'm not sure there is anyone else who can do that besides the three of them. Maybe there are others. I'm open to suggestions. Maybe someone out there is famous enough to be able to do that. But I doubt that it is to the level that those three men are able. And of course, Donald Trump is primary among those three. Donald Trump is singular in his ability to change the public narrative worldwide just by posting online. That is not some random occurrence of circumstance generated by an incompetent egomaniac narcissist who can't control himself and has no idea what he's doing. And I'm honestly not certain what could be more clear than that. So he makes these endorsements. Sometimes these endorsements are endorsements of people that aren't commonly MAGA. So people don't understand what it is. Or sometimes he endorses somebody and then later on talks about how bad they are as people, how bad they are for the country, how bad their careers have been, like he does with Mitch McConnell. And then people call him a liar for having endorsed them. Now, if we lived in a perfect world, it would be wonderful if Donald Trump were only endorsing perfect candidates. But not only do we live in an imperfect world where pragmatism is necessary, we also live in a world where the elections are rigged and Trump knows it. The people he's endorsing know it. The regime knows it. Trump knows the regime knows it. And the regime knows that Trump knows it. So all he's doing with these endorsements is shifting around the credits for success or failure and he is controlling the public narrative between the person he's endorsing and himself. They need or want that endorsement. Now he has leverage. Now those people have to act in a certain way relative to him. And if they break their deal, Donald Trump can destroy them in a second because he has that power in his narrative control. We've talked about how Twitter is like the greatest information weapon in the history of the world. I genuinely believe that, at least until a year ago, you know, whenever Elon Musk took over. It is now clearly something different. But before that, it was kind of the end point. It was the tip of the spear as far as the information war is concerned. 
Twitter had the power to shape elections, shape societies, cause revolutions, shift markets. And it was being used to do all of those things on behalf of the regime. And I bring that up to clarify the absolute power of narrative control when it reaches that high level. Donald Trump has that. And I would suggest that he uses that in essentially a narrative protection racket. He gets people to do what he needs to do because those people know that Donald Trump can expose them. He can destroy their reputations. He can cause them no end of headaches online. And the thing is, he never has to lie to do this. He can always just express something true, expose something about that person, or just give his opinion about how they're acting if they aren't on board with the program. And it's important that he does it, not because we are cult followers who are going to obey whatever he says, but because when he brings these things up, we take him seriously. We assume that he is giving us some sort of hint about something to look into, and then we do, and then we make our own decisions about what he's saying. And that is actually helpful because what is going to make us look deeply into a person like Ron DeSantis without Trump saying anything? A lot of people just took the TV's word for it that Ron DeSantis is just fine. And if we had believed that for another six or seven months up until the point when Ron DeSantis launched his campaign, well, things would be a lot different now. But either Ron is a kayfabe op not the people doing his comms, not the people supporting him, just Ron himself. Maybe he's just taking one for the team. You got to leave that possibility out there. Even though that possibility is shrinking away to nothing, it still is a possibility, I suppose. But assuming Ron is not a kayfabe op and this is all just real stuff that's happening, thank goodness that Donald Trump called him desanctimonious and all of these people came out of hiding and went on the attack in November of last year, because now we've all been able to see what they really are and what they really represent. And for that matter, who Ron DeSantis actually is, whatever good he may have done in Florida. And I'm not fully convinced that he did good in Florida. I only know that the television has told us that if this is who he is, he's not going to be president in 2024. He's not going to be president in 2028. And I would be surprised if he could win any election anywhere for any office going forward. Donald Trump didn't do that to him. Ron DeSantis and the people supporting Ron DeSantis did that to Ron DeSantis. All Donald Trump did was send up a smoke signal and all the people around Ron went nuts. That exposed the entire thing. That is what we saw. That is what we dealt with. People who don't spend the amount of time we spend on this stuff didn't see it. And that's all good, but it doesn't take it out of the world and make it not a real thing. We have watched this candidacy develop now for eight months and we know exactly what it is. So either Ron is kayfabe or Ron had some reason that seemed compelling about why he would go out and break the terms of whatever agreement he would have had with Donald Trump. If all of this is real and he's running on behalf of the regime supporters who are legitimately supporting him and he's doing it to serve regime interests 
primarily getting Donald Trump out of the way so no one ever finds out that our elections are stolen, then Ron has clearly violated whatever terms their relationship was being held under. And at that point, the negotiation changes and all bets are off. That is the power Trump has in the narrative. Trump is essentially operating a narrative protection racket with absolutely everybody. That is great power. And with it comes great responsibility. And Trump is handling it, I would argue, responsibly. Now, people won't think that. Why is he going after Ron DeSantis? Ron DeSantis is on our side and Trump should be lifting up the people on our side. Well, how does that apply to Ron DeSantis then while he's trying to tear down Trump and MAGA. And of course, it only works one direction because Trump is the one with that power and he's the big bully. Ron should be able to take all the shots he wants at Trump and his supporters all day long for whatever reason, no matter how much that supports the regime that has done this to society. Doesn't matter. Trump's not allowed to say anything, but he is allowed to say things. And that's just the way of the world. And it doesn't matter if you think that he's being a bad, bad person when he does it, it just doesn't matter at all. That is part of that fundamental misunderstanding about who Donald Trump is. He does know what he's doing. He's exercising leverage in an ongoing negotiation that only ends when he decides that the deal is done and that the negotiation with this particular party is over. If Mitch McConnell, for instance, is not some sort of kayfabe operation, then it is quite clear that Donald Trump's business with Mitch McConnell has been concluded, and he is likely not going to resume business with Mitch McConnell at any point. If election fraud is exposed, if the illegitimacy of government and the corruption of government is exposed, then Mitch McConnell won't have a career anymore. So what does Donald Trump need him for? And the same, of course, holds true for Ron DeSantis. Donald Trump operates a narrative protection racket. A protection racket is something often used by the mob. They go around to all of the local businesses in town and they say, hey, there's been a lot of crimes lately. There's been a lot of fires lately. Oh, I think there's been an arsonist around committing these crimes and these fires. Or maybe there's a gang around and you want protection from that gang. So here's what's going to happen. You're going to pay us just like every other business on this block is going to pay us and then we will protect your business and we will make sure that none of those criminals harm your business. But the thing is, if you don't pay us, well, then all bets are off. You have a nice business here. It would be a shame if someone ruined it. Now, that's a lot of power. That's not necessarily a good situation, especially when bad people are the ones wielding that power, which is why Donald Trump has to make sure that he does not do that, that he handles that great power with great responsibility. And so to be able to do that and to be able to prove to people that you are doing that, there has to be some sort of standard underlying when that power is going to be used. And that standard is whether or not the person is helping to put America first and make America great again. If they are supporting MAGA, the Trump movement, the sovereign nationalist movement, the movement for sovereign individuals, then they are pushing America forward. They are putting America first. They want to make America great again. And then wonderful. They're good until they're not good. If they are out there serving the regime, then all bets are off and they can be gone after. 
And people like us will do the research and understand what's going on. And we will say, oh, it's clear Trump is going after this person for this. Again, he explains the Mitch McConnell thing. He explains the Ron DeSantis thing. He explains why he goes after all of these people. But for some reason, we have this contingent of people on the uniparty right who are like, well, it's not fair. He's not allowed to say these things about these people. These people are on his team and he should be trying to uplift them so that they can help him. But that's getting it exactly backwards. Trump doesn't need Mitch McConnell and Ron DeSantis, they need him. Trump doesn't need their three supporters. They need his supporters. That's what it means to have the leverage. And they're already trying to exert leverage on Donald Trump, even though they don't have it. That's why they have all these little pointless, dishonest, immoral attacks like Donald Trump is a leftist or Donald Trump is woke or Donald Trump is an affirmative action advocate. If they had actual leverage, if they had good, true moral arguments, they would be making those arguments and they would be winning those arguments, except they don't have any arguments like that because that's not the situation. And the fact that they're not making any of those arguments proves that. Donald Trump doesn't have to lie about Ron DeSantis. He can simply point toward the people supporting him. And you could argue that since saying desanctimonious for the first time, Donald Trump hasn't had to make any argument whatsoever because Ron DeSantis's people, the people he has chosen to surround himself with, his good hires, have destroyed his political career and destroyed the narrative about Ron DeSantis and his competence and how well he has done for Florida. Donald Trump didn't do that. Ron's own supporters did because they don't have any compelling, honest, rational, moral arguments, which is why they don't make any. All of it relies on that foundational misunderstanding. But let's separate from that and just get to the practical, pragmatic aspects. Donald Trump put three Supreme Court justices on the bench. The uniparty right Republican establishment tried to prevent Donald Trump from being the candidate and then tried to prevent him from winning. They went along with Russiagate, the Ukraine impeachment hoax and the rest of it. John McCain delivered the Steele dossier to the media. They tried to remove and undermine Donald Trump at every single turn. And if they had been successful, if the uniparty right if the GOP establishment and elite had been successful in taking down Donald Trump, we would not have three Trump justices on the Supreme Court making these decisions. It's just a fact. It is unavoidable. But of course, people say, well, if it was Ron, he would have surely chosen the same people. Really? Really? That's the argument? Some fantastical scenario from the past? where Ron DeSantis is so good that he would have done that thing right too. He would have gotten that across the finish line. What's the proof of that? What has Ron DeSantis gotten across the finish line? What are the great things that Ron DeSantis has done that would prove he would have been able to do the great things Donald Trump actually did do while Donald Trump was in that position? It's nice to say that Ron would have done that 
and maybe he would have selected one or two fine judges. It's hard to believe that he would have gotten a third across right at the end of the game like Trump did. But it's awfully nice to pretend, isn't it? Especially when our make-believe world reaffirms the foundational misunderstanding that Donald Trump is actually incompetent and bad, doesn't know what he's doing, can't control himself. In fact, all those Supreme Court justices, someone else actually got that done. It wasn't Trump. It was Mitch. Mitch is what got all that done. And while we're on the subject, it's quite possible that Mitch got that done because Trump endorsed him. But hey, who knows? The point is that Donald Trump put those justices on the Supreme Court. Those justices ended Roe versus Wade last year, and this year has been maybe even bigger. So let's go through the cases. Let's go through the decisions that were announced this week. First, we had the decision on Moore versus Harper, which is the case out of North Carolina that would provide a ruling on the state legislature theory. We've talked about this on the podcast before. This is the Washington Post from Tuesday. Supreme Court rejects theory that would have meant radical changes to election rules. The Supreme Court on Tuesday rejected what would have been a radical change in election law, dismissing the theory that state legislatures have almost unlimited power to decide the rules for federal elections and draw partisan congressional maps without interference from state courts. The Constitution's elections clause, quote, does not insulate state legislatures from the ordinary exercise of state judicial review. Chief Justice John Roberts wrote in a 6-3 decision. This decision was praised by Democrats and civil rights groups more for firmly rebuffing what they viewed as an outlandish theory than for establishing new law. A wide coalition of scholars, liberal lawyers, and conservative former judges had denounced the theory as unmoored and extreme. <laughs> they found some former conservative judges to agree with them. Gosh, what are the chances? Maintaining the status quo is seen as significant for a court that in recent years has constricted voting and election protections in federal law and the Constitution. In a separate decision earlier this month, however, the court relied on its previous interpretations of the Voting Rights Act to find the Alabama legislature drew congressional districts that unlawfully diluted the political power of its black residents. After Tuesday's decision, voting rights advocates and Democrats said the combined opinions give them hope of being able to successfully challenge some Republican-led redistricting efforts. So there was a lot of frustration and disappointment about this decision in MAGA world because a lot of what we've been dealing with over the past couple of years with election laws and how elections have been governed and run has to do with the state's plenary authority to decide the place and manner and time of their elections in federal elections. The hope was that this would further empower the states by taking away the judicial review, basically asserting that state legislatures could set their elections up however they so choose. This may be one of those decisions that seems bad on its face, but ends up being just fine in the end. And I think there are multiple ways to get there. The first is that you don't really want some unlimited, unchecked power when it's the other side holding that power. 
It might seem bad for us now, but we can't judge things that way. We have to judge whether or not the system is properly constructed and properly run to yield good, right outcomes, not necessarily outcomes that will automatically benefit us. The courts reviewing what a legislature does don't seem to me to be the end of the world. This also was not how we were going to solve elections. It just really wasn't. And everybody wanted it to be. People thought this could be a step toward doing that. I think we're going to have an entirely different step toward resolving elections that is not going to require this decision as a stepping stone toward that. But that is something that will be determined in the future. From a net effects perspective relative to the narrative, this is actually a really good result because it has enabled the rest of the week to be the great success narrative and otherwise that it has been. After that Moore versus Harper decision, on Wednesday, we got this from The Atlantic. From The Atlantic, listen to this headline. The court is conservative, but not MAGA. That is wonderful. Imagine being a standard issue uniparty left villager and seeing that you really want to be upset about the Supreme Court. Joe Biden tells you it's illegitimate. You've been told that we really need 15 Supreme Court justices so that they can just put six new ones on the bench. You've been told that the court is racist and homophobic and misogynistic and trying to drag us back to the 1950s, that horror show. And now the Atlantic comes out on the heels of the Moore versus Harper decision and declares that, yes, the court is a little conservative, but it's not MAGA. We know we told you that this was going to be Donald Trump's nightmare court, but it's pretty normal. It's not MAGA. These people aren't extremists. Well, hey, thanks, Atlantic. Thank you for helping us in the same way that Team Ron continually helps us. The Moore versus Harper decision and articles like this from the Atlantic are helping restore people's faith in the court. And the court is legitimate. For the most part, I mean, Kentaji Brown Jackson was nominated by an illegitimate president and confirmed by a mostly illegitimate Senate. I think we will probably have to re-encounter those issues at some point in the future. But the body as a whole has been pretty down the middle. And the people who only care about outcomes, they're very pragmatic. The Supreme Court is good and legitimate if it does the things they want and it is bad and illegitimate. If it doesn't, that's why we need to increase the number of justices. All of them reacted and were like, yeah, that's a pretty legitimate court. What a great decision they made on Moore versus Harper. They're not going to make it possible for those MAGA extremists to overthrow our elections. Listen to some of these headlines in the wake of Moore versus Harper from Vanity Fair. Democracy can breathe a sigh of relief. Supreme Court rejects radical election theory. The Guardian writes, U.S. Supreme Court rules against fringe legal theory in key voting rights case. Vox writes, the Supreme Court decides not to destroy democracy in the United States. And the New York Times, David French writing, David French, that conservative. His article has this headline. The Supreme Court just helped save American democracy from Trumpism. 
Uniparty villagers, ladies and gentlemen, look at all of these wonderful opinions. The Moore versus Harper case has saved democracy. The court is conservative, but not MAGA. Everything's fine, guys. Trust this court. They're on our side. They just saved democracy. They can't just turn around and be terrible next, can they? Well, you tell me, commies. So yesterday we had the decision about affirmative action. Katanji Brown Jackson had to recuse herself from the Harvard decision. There were a pair of decisions, both about affirmative action that were handed down yesterday. Katanji Brown Jackson recused herself because she used to be on Harvard's board of overseers. And while we are told that she was not directly involved in admission systems, she was kind of responsible for setting them up. So we have Katanji Brown Jackson nominated by an illegitimate president confirmed by a mostly illegitimate Senate who would regularly be surprisingly lenient on pedophiles and who could not answer what a woman was because she's not a biologist forced to recuse herself from the Harvard case because she was kind of one of the people involved in and responsible for the thing that the court just ruled unconstitutional. She and the school she worked for were essentially implementing formalized systemic racism. Clarence Thomas wrote in concurrence with the majority decision, the great failure of this country was slavery and its progeny. And the tragic failure of this court was its misinterpretation of the Reconstruction Amendments, as Justice Harlan predicted in Plessy. We should not repeat this mistake merely because we think, as our predecessors thought, that the present arrangements are superior to the Constitution. And what an incredible sentence and notion that is and that represents. It is not the job of the court to decide that the way things are right now overrides what the Constitution says. The entire point of a Constitution is that we have something objective to refer to so that we are not just making ad hoc decisions on whatever works best at the time. If something is not constitutional, you can't do it. And if you want to do it, if you think it is a moral necessity to do it, well, then there's a way to amend the Constitution. You just have to convince enough other people that it actually is a moral necessity to do it. If you can't do that, you don't get to do the thing, no matter how you feel about it. The court's opinion rightly makes clear that Grutter is for all intents and purposes overruled, and it sees the university's admissions policies for what they are. Rudderless, race-based preferences designed to ensure a particular racial mix in their entering classes. Those policies fly in the face of our colorblind constitution and our nation's equality ideal. In short, they are plainly and boldly unconstitutional. While I am painfully aware of the social and economic ravages which have befallen my race and all who suffer discrimination, I hold out enduring hope that this country will live up to its principles so clearly enunciated in the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution 
of the United States, that all men are created equal, are equal citizens, and must be treated equally before the law. Ketanji Brown Jackson wrote a dissenting opinion in the other case. Thomas responded to that in his concurring opinion. He wrote, nor do Justice Jackson's statistics regarding a correlation between levels of health, wealth, and well-being between selected racial groups prove anything. Of course, none of those statistics are capable of drawing a direct causal link between race rather than socioeconomic status or any other factor and individual outcomes. So Justice Jackson supplies the link herself, the legacy of slavery and the nature of inherited wealth. This, she claims, locks blacks into a seemingly perpetual inferior caste. Such a view is irrational. It is an insult to individual achievement and cancerous to young minds seeking to push through barriers rather than consign themselves to permanent victimhood. And that is exactly right. It's also particularly ironic that Katanji Brown Jackson would disagree with that. Katanji Brown Jackson was nominated specifically because she was a black woman. That wasn't some kind of secret. That was the justification presented by the illegitimate president when he nominated her. Similar arguments were made for her colleagues, Elena Kagan and Sonia Sotomayor, all of them the beneficiaries of affirmative action. And then they turn around and suggest that without affirmative action, people of minority ethnicities would be stuck permanently in an inferior caste. So the meltdown began over that yesterday, and it was quite a meltdown. A bunch of universities released statements saying how their policies wouldn't change. They are still committed to their diversity, equity, inclusivity agendas. The Supreme Court just doesn't matter now. Hey, so you guys decided that this is what we have to do. Well, how about this? We're not going to do it. We're just not going to listen to the Supreme Court's decision. And you'll just have to stop us by continuing to sue us over and over again. Well, hey, great. Let's do that. Maybe all of the people out there who have been discriminated against in the college admissions processes can sue their colleges and remove completely these massive college endowments. In fact, maybe that'll even be how it happens. These universities have to be taken down one way or another. They were involved in the regime's agenda, just like any other corporate entity. Sooner or later, they will have to be dealt with. So this seems like a very possible route to achieving that. There was another decision handed down yesterday about religious liberty. A postal worker who is a devout Christian was committed to never working on Sundays. That used to be just fine with the post office because the post office didn't deliver on Sundays. Then all of a sudden, companies like Amazon began working in partnership with the post offices. They do deliveries every day. So all of a sudden, post offices were forced to work on Sundays, too. And this man wanted to make sure he did not work on any Sundays, and he was given problems in that. His religious exemption to working on Sundays was not respected. The American Center for Law and Justice describes it this way. The case involves Gerald Groff, an employee of the United States Postal Service, who would not work on Sundays for religious reasons. 
Groff initially worked in a position that did not require Sunday work. However, when USPS began facilitating Sunday deliveries for Amazon, Groff sought a transfer to a rural U.S. Postal Service station that did not handle Sunday deliveries. Eventually, even at the rural station, Sunday deliveries became part of the workload and Groff refused to work on that day. Groff faced disciplinary action before ultimately resigning. They go on. After decades of lower courts applying the de minimis standard, the Supreme Court today rejected it. In an opinion by Justice Alito, the court set forth a new standard, holding that, quote, an employer must show that the burden of granting an accommodation would result in substantial increased costs in relation to the conduct of its particular business. As Justice Alito noted, what is most important is that undue hardship in Title VII means what it says, and courts should resolve whether a hardship would be substantial in the context of an employer's business in the common sense manner that it would use in applying any such test. So basically, if the company wants to refuse this request based on a religious exemption, they have to actually prove that it would harm their business by creating an undue financial burden. Otherwise, they are not allowed to deny that exemption on religious grounds. So basically, it's no longer relevant for them to say, well, we would love to give you Sundays off, but other people would like to have Sundays off too, and they're not religious like you, so it would be unfair to them if we only allowed you to have Sundays off all the time. So they can no longer use that to go around the need to provide accommodations for claims of religious freedom. You got to wonder how this is going to apply to cases in the future when we begin to hear about all those religious exemptions that were denied by government organizations and others when it comes to the very safe, very effective vaccines. Now, we had two big decisions today as well. And we will start with this one. This is from NPR Today, written by Nina Totenberg, the sister of Judge Totenberg in that Georgia case who held the J. Alex Halderman report under seal for years. Supreme Court says First Amendment entitles web designer to refuse same-sex wedding work. So, This is basically the, what, third round, fourth round of these sorts of cases. They used to go after that Colorado cake maker, trying to force him to make cakes for gay weddings. Even though he said that violated his conscience, they wanted to compel his work so that he did not have the right to refuse. The U.S. Supreme Court ruled 6-3 along ideological lines that the First Amendment bars Colorado from, quote, forcing a website designer to create expressive designs speaking messages with which the designer disagrees. Writing for the conservative majority, Justice Neil Gorsuch said, Ms. Smith seeks to engage in protected First Amendment speech. Colorado seeks to compel speech she does not wish to provide. As the Tenth Circuit observed, if Ms. Smith offers wedding websites celebrating marriages she endorses, the state intends to compel her to create custom websites celebrating other marriages she does not. If she wishes to speak, she must either speak as the state demands or face sanctions for expressing her own beliefs, 
Sanctions that may include compulsory participation in, quote, remedial training, filing periodic compliance reports and paying monetary fines. That is an impermissible abridgment of the First Amendment's right to speak freely. In her dissent, Justice Sonia Sotomayor wrote, Today, the court, for the first time in its history, grants a business open to the public a constitutional right to refuse to serve members of a protected class, obviously as dishonest and biased an interpretation as possible. She added, Around the country, there has been a backlash to the movement for liberty and equality for gender and sexual minorities. New forms of inclusion have been met with reactionary exclusion. This is heartbreaking. Sadly, it is also familiar. When the civil rights and women's rights movements sought equality in public life, some public establishments refused. Some even claimed, based on sincere religious beliefs, constitutional rights to discriminate. The brave justices who once sat on this court decisively rejected those claims. So no legal argument there whatsoever, just emotions, just emotions and buzzwords about emotions. We are going to save everybody. They are trying to destroy everybody. It's so unfair. What she wants is for the state to be able to compel the work of its citizens, even when that work violates the conscience of its citizens. That is an unbelievable affront to free thought, free speech, and free action. We do not live in a world where gay couples cannot find cake makers or website designers. If people believe that cake makers or website designers who don't want to make gay cakes or gay wedding websites are intolerant or bigoted or homophobic or whatever they want to call them, they don't have to patronize these people's businesses. If all of society agrees with that, then none of those people will patronize these people's businesses and they may well go out of business. They have the right to choose whether or not they want to do the work. If their policies lose them their entire customer base, then they go out of business and it's still their choice. It's not the state's choice to force them to do something in the name of tolerance. Totenberg concludes this way. On Friday, the court ruled against the state and for the web designer in a decision that could have profound consequences in Colorado and 29 other states that have laws requiring businesses open to the public to serve everyone regardless of race, religion, ethnicity, gender, or sexual orientation. And there's a subtle but important distinction to make here, because the way she just stated that is not what this case is actually about. It's not that this website designer is refusing service to a gay person based on their sexual orientation. It's that the website designer is refusing to support the institution of gay marriage that they fundamentally, principally, morally disagree with. Would the website designer create a website for a gay person's business? If the answer to that is yes, then it's clear that the refusal to perform the service would not be on the basis of the person's sexual orientation. 
It's just a principled stand against the institution of gay marriage. And you can feel about that however you like, but there's nothing that says everyone has to agree with your very tolerant position and then have their labor compelled by the state when they disagree with you. And finally, let's go to ABC News for the last of these Supreme Court opinions. The Supreme Court rejects Biden's plan to wipe away $400 billion in student loan debt. A sharply divided Supreme Court on Friday effectively killed President Joe Biden's $400 billion plan to cancel or reduce federal student loan debts for millions of Americans. This fight is not over, he said. The 6-3 decision with conservative justices in the majority said the Biden administration overstepped its authority with the plan and it leaves borrowers on the hook for repayments that are expected to resume in the fall. Biden was to announce a new set of actions to protect student loan borrowers later Friday, according to a White House official who was not authorized to speak publicly beforehand and discuss the matter on condition of anonymity. The president said in a statement, the ruling was wrong and accused Republicans of stunning hypocrisy on the issue. The court held that the administration needed Congress's endorsement before undertaking so costly a program. The majority rejected arguments that a bipartisan 2003 law dealing with national emergencies known as the HEROES Act gave Biden the power he claimed. Six states sued arguing that the HEROES Act does not authorize the loan cancellation plan. We agree. Chief Justice John Roberts wrote for the court. Justice Elena Kagan wrote in a dissent, joined by the court's two other liberals, that the majority of the court, quote, overrides the combined judgment of the legislative and executive branches with the consequence of eliminating loan forgiveness for 43 million Americans. Kagan read a summary of her dissent in court to emphasize her disagreement. So once again, the pragmatic concern is all that matters. This is not fair to those 43 million Americans who chose to go to college and take those loans out on their own. Joe Biden told them he was going to help them. That was the deal he made to get their votes again and again. And now he's coming up empty. People are going to be very, very mad. And once again, the expectation is that the illegitimate president and his administration will try to find ways to circumvent this ruling and still bail out college loans. Biden made it very clear that the responsibility for all of this goes on Republicans. And it is yet another one of those situations where I, at least, am more than happy for that narrative to go absolutely viral. Everybody to understand that Republicans stopped Joe Biden's loan forgiveness program. Absolutely perfect. Please go sell that narrative because this is not even close to a majority issue. People do not want to be held accountable for paying off the college loans of other people, especially when those other people are studying in these Marxist institutions being groomed to become future regime communists. The hardworking citizens of this country do not want to pay for someone else's gender studies degree or ethnic studies degree. And in fact, I don't want to pay for anybody's epidemiology degree or virology degree. And we could just go on down the line. I'd be 
totally on board with college just being done away with forever. We don't need it. Everybody should just learn on their own, sign up to learn the things that they want to learn. Society can encourage them in certain ways. Not everybody's going to want to learn the same things. People will learn job skills. Have college if you want. Teach the classics. Teach mathematics. Teach foreign languages and history. Have a ball. But sooner or later, we need to grow out of the notion that college is good. College is necessary. College is a must. College is synonymous with education. It certainly is not. So what do we have when it's all said and done? The week of Supreme Court opinions is over. The first one, that Moore versus Harper decision was a little disappointing. I'm certain that we will find our way to free and fair elections in another way. But the narrative effects certainly did help. Everybody out there was told this court just saved democracy. They're doing just fine. They're not as MAGA as we thought. And then after that, the four other decisions that I just discussed were four for four on those. The strengthening of religious liberty, the end of affirmative action, the end of compelled forced labor against someone's own conscience and the striking down of Joe Biden's ridiculous college loan bailouts. Four for four. That's not bad. None of that would have been possible without Donald Trump in the White House nominating and getting confirmed three different Supreme Court justices. That is a real accomplishment, particularly that Amy Coney Barrett nomination right at the end of Donald Trump's first term. Not everyone could have accomplished that. And the truth is anyone who is there in support of the regime would not have done it at all. And that includes, by the way, Ron DeSantis. Remember back to that time when it was finally announced that Ruth Bader Ginsburg had passed. Trump stepped in, nominated Amy Coney Barrett and got her confirmed. All of this is possible because of that. You might eventually think that he knows what he's doing. That one simple fact alone, correcting that foundational misunderstanding, provides the key to understanding all the rest of this in the same way that understanding election fraud is real provides the key to understanding political analysis. It actually does matter if the foundational elements are correct or not. Now, this has been a week of extremely long shows. I think I've probably done seven or maybe close to eight hours worth of shows over the course of these five days, in addition to Badlands Story Hour and Badlands Daily this morning and tomorrow night, Devolution Power Hour. So 4th of July, I am absolutely 100% taking that day off. I'm going to try to get an episode up Monday or Wednesday. It's possible that I don't get episodes up either day, but I'm going to do my best to get one up on Monday. I am going to be moving at the end of July, and I'm trying to handle a bunch of stuff for that this weekend. So things are going to be a little touch and go next week. There should be more than ample content coming from me this week to keep you busy for a few days. So I will be back at some point next week at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me 
and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at imyourmoderator.substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. Comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree. Linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon out on the range. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!